We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. This is our first time that we are doing a video recording for the Healing Stories podcast, and it is my great honor and pleasure to be with Ginny Whitelaw, who has guided me over a number of the years and who has also guided a number of people throughout the world, uh, from Merck to uh, all these companies, but then also to the average healer. And uh, Ginny, I want to thank you for being with us today. Mm, thank you. Thanks for doing this, Martin. Yeah, and I think what was powerful is that it came out of your Institute for Zen Leadership is uh, that moment when we were all together and uh, discussing what it is you wanted to achieve in your life. One thing that I had wanted to do was carry this healing stories method uh, into the future. And you sat with me on the floor of a dojo and uh, it was cold and it was in the morning. And I realized that that's kind of where I wanted to begin is just for us to hear a little bit about you and your journey. And I think it is so rich that I can't tell it. I, I would like you to tell it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny, you take us back to that, that time in the dojo and with the Institute, because I've sat in that dojo so many times. And as soon as we kind of had the, with the walls closed in, I thought, you know, we could bring leaders here, we could bring physicians here, we could bring healthcare people here, and help them be better healers in the world, help them be wiser in how they try to lead through such complex times and such difficult things hitting us so quickly. Um, and I, I recall fondly our conversation, Martin, on, the, on the, the floor that morning. But as with you, um, the training and the dojo has been a, a, a real source of inspiration in my own life. And it's, um, you know, it, it dates way back to, gee, college and graduate school for me because uh, I initially got into this training through martial arts, of all, of all things. But uh, um, the, uh, but in, in, um, martial arts started purely for self-defense. I was taking class today where I had and women were getting attacked. This, this, the university started offering self-defense classes, so I took one. And the teacher said, you know, this is more than the work of a day. You have to, uh, if you really like this stuff or you're interested, you have to keep training. So I did. And, and one thing led to another, which led in graduate school to a world-class Aikido teacher, Toyota Sensei, uh, which is... Um, which who who also trained in Zen, and he led me to a world class Zen teacher, Tanoi Roshi, and um, and a line of Zen training that's very deeply physical, as as you know, um, it's it really trains the mind through the body. Uh, and that training just um, started taking root in me, I guess, over the decades, although I will say it wasn't a linear path. It was okay. with a great deal of resistance yeah. along the way. That's good to know for us. <laughs> um, but what it does is it strips away the extra. You know, it strips away a lot of the uh, self-protection, or in my case, the endless ambition and need to prove myself. You know, I, w I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. You know, that was my big ambition. And and my goodness, uh, that was just a capital D dream for me. Um, and I did work at NASA for 10 years. Um, following that dream and with always this kind of sense of carrot that, oh, if I just, you know, get worked a little harder or impressed a few more people, then maybe they'll give me my dream. But as it turned out, uh, it was 
really the opposite of a healing story. It made me quite sick because um, there was something very inauthentic about living that way. I don't know if you can appreciate, Martin, what it's like to live in an environment where you're always super concerned about what everyone thinks of you and making the right impression on everyone and not misstepping or saying the wrong thing or being politically incorrect. And it just, um, it just was sucking the life out of me because um, I, I wanted to do good work for NASA, but I was always on kind of eggshells around um, whether I was getting noticed the right way that NASA would give me my dream. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how it shows up somatically because eventually my heart could not take it. It's got very irregular. Um, and of course, I didn't want NASA to find out about that because that would disqualify me. You know? So it became another thing I was kind of hiding and yeah. shielding from the world, uh-huh. another personal flaw that people yeah. might find out about me. Uh-huh. Um, but of course, things have to get worse then, which they did. And uh, it, and eventually it was it was a, just a harrowing morning one morning when I woke up with my heart racing over 200 beats a minute, which if you don't know, feels like a freight train running through your body and uh, pain shooting down my left arm. And I was 34 years old, having what for all the world felt like a heart attack, 34 years old. I was terrified and uh, called the hospital and they they um, said, oh, we'll send an ambulance. And I said, oh, no, 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 because, of course, I'm thinking, you know, NASA could find out. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. drive to the hospital yeah. and, and just collapse on the floor. And that was when things really changed for me. Um, and so I'd love to say it was my Zen training that woke me up, but it was really my heart problem that woke me up to quit trying to use meditation, which I, I think I really had been sort of using my ability to, because I had been meditating about 10 years to that point. Mm. But up to that point, I was trying to use it to reach my ambitions, you know, to make me more calm and and together and um, manage my stress. And I could, you know, slow down my breathing, which could slow down my heart rate. So when I started to realize that things were going a little amiss, I was sort of using the training to, to game the system, if you will. Yeah. Um, but after that experience, I just let go and said, you know, when I'm doing this crazy, I have to just dive in and let this training change me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I got very serious about my Zen training. Your story is something that I imagine many people resonate with, and it resonates with me. Uh, I think uh, 36 was more my year, but uh, how we understand when our body speaks to us, what we do from that. And yeah. that's what health is, right? That's um, what health is. And, and it's not one of I'm going to fix it, but rather I'm going to listen to it and then let people who come into my life help me to heal. And I wonder if there were people who did that for you. Uh, Were there people who kind of came to your aid? And and you're so much about opening energy and opening fields that I wonder about that piece of the story, too. I mean, you're on the ground, you're in the emergency room. What happens then? (laughs) What happens then? Well, what happened for me was a little voice in my head screaming, you know, you idiot. (laughs) What are you doing? You know, you're you're giving away your real life in service of a fiction. But something was also lifting out of my body as if it was a burden I had been carrying. And I noticed even as I said that how you sat up straighter. But that was the feeling of it. It was like a weight. And as that lifted out, there it was like it made space for a new kind of listening. And I, I love how you put that because, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm working a great deal these days with resonance and yes. with what it means to resonate yeah. with situations. Yeah. And it really, to start with that listening, to listen, to listen to something is to vibrate with it. Yeah. I mean, literally, physically, we don't hear anything that we're not actually moving with. Yeah. It has to vibrate our eardrums, but it also sinks in deeper in the body. You know, we really listen and vibrate with um, the sounds of the human voice all the way through the body. So to listen is to let something change us. Um, If we listen and then shut it out, we're not letting it change it very deeply. So what started happening is I was listening and letting it change me. Um, And and sure enough, just as you said, as soon as I'm listening with that kind of sensitivity, the right people show up, the right conditions show up, the the training changes, you know. Um, and, And some of the people who were really... Uh, great uh, healers in my journey are some of the people you know, like Everett Ogawa, you know, um, deep body work that helps work out those points of stuckness, which aren't just stuckness in our, in our mental loops. They're also physical stuckness in the body. As those free up, energy flows. Then we can listen more, more deeply, you know, so it becomes a virtuous cycle as soon as we are willing to engage it as such. It's really powerful. People come into the practice of heal of medicine of, of any career, and I think they truly have a heart for wanting. I, I don't think anyone wants to be burnt out. I don't think anyone wants to cause harm to humanity. Yet these things get inside of us, and it's a physics piece. I mean, which you are. I mean, you know this from physics of the flow of the body, and that to me is something I'd love for you to explain because I know you do that in leadership, and I have consumed this book, as you know, of uh, the Zen leader and the the ten ways to go from barely managing to leading fearlessly. But it's a physics. I mean, this isn't like a, a voodoo witch thing as much as I've experienced that in Haiti too. But but what is the physics? of this that I think appeals to some of those scientific pessimists out there who we know exist, right? I won't name names. Dad. They won't name names. Well, I and you know, I think I'm was one of them. I was a great doubter from way back, and I was a physicist. I yeah, worked I in a high energy physics lab all through college, and and wanted to understand the energy of the human being. So I went into biophysics in graduate school and studied the nervous system. So, I mean, I appreciate you bringing up the physics of it because it really is. Um, it, it is embedded in the body that the, the, the way change happens, any kind of change is through resonance. It, things vibrate together. Mm. Uh, to, so resonance is to vibrate with something. And um, the, uh, it's, it's the way energy materializes into matter. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, matter is in a way a very condensed form of energy. Um, you know, we, E equals MC squared. I mean, we've known that for more than 100 years since Einstein, but we often don't think of our bodies as being really condensed forms of energy. And then there's the, um, whenever we are around uh, another person, I mean, I noticed even as I started moving this way, you did. That's what we do. We start a kind of a subtle dance with other people where we are moving with them. And it's not just human beings who do this. If you take two grandfather clocks and you put them in the room with their big, long pendulums, they'll tend to sync up. Hmm. Why? Because it's a more stable energetic state to vibrate with rather than to create a a sense the friction of being out of sync Um, likewise in the nervous system and this is where energy takes root in form of neural pathways we 
we learn through repetition. That's how the nervous system lays down its pathway, that, that when a nerve gets stimulated, it will relay or resonate the signal to the nerves it's connected to. And as Gerald Edelman, the neuroscientist, quipped once, it, it put it very well, what, wires, what, what fires together will wire together. So as we link up these pathways, we end up with natural loops within us that reflect our life lived up till now. Now, here's the challenge. We grow up from one cell. (laughs) The challenge is we grow up from very primitive beginnings. And so we're growing up through all these stages of of um, development, in effect, recreating the entire evolutionary series of developmental stages while we climb out of the womb and go through a childhood that happens before we can make sense of anything. And we are embodying habits through repetition of how we get through that from very basic egocentric beginnings. So by the time you and I get to a place where we can do a, a video about healing stories, we have an entire history in our body already. And and some of that history is trauma, and some of it is bad habits, and some of it is egocentric survivalist instincts, I've got to get my needs met. And some of it is, you know, our whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, that's why in, in Zen leadership, we spend a lot of time working with how to tame our fears and things, because left unattended, those fears will, will lead to a kind of greed of needing to get my needs met. Thank you very much. You know, I have to prove myself or I need to be loved or I need to be safe or I need more material things in my life to feel good or whatever that is, however that shows up for us. So we, the good news is we can keep evolving and we keep maturing into ever more, um, complex and mature states of development to where we can start witnessing all this, seeing many perspectives, having empathy, seeing the big picture and the natural flow and flux of things. And the bad news is all that other stuff is still embedded and embodied. Uh So how do we work with the whole system? We have to integrate it. We have to work it all together. And that is a deep kind of healing that we have to undertake for ourselves. It, it is within, right? It's not outside. And you talk about this significantly. And I can remember being in a conversation as I was about to go in a different pathway. And the person whom I love said to me, well, how did we get here? And I said, because I'm a lover. And it was part of my body and my personality that we were going to go and bet on love. And these other aspects are fundamentals of life, but how you look at personality is something that you've always encouraged me too, in terms of the driver, in terms of the organizer, in terms of the collaborator and the visionary. And these four ways, I think are significant if you can talk about them, about how they resonate, right? If I'm with a driver and I'm a visionary, which I know is part of, right? And now you got me on the bike because you said I'm too visionary. I got to swing the pendulum a little bit. So I got a bike and I'm on the bike and I'm sweating and but how do we resonate with those who we know? I mean, this can even happen in relationships whom are partners for life. And that's why I love what you're writing about. I know it's, it's the new project with resonance. But these four personalities, I imagine, is the next phase to talk about them from a resonance perspective. 
Um, you're you're right. They are. They because each energy has a different quality in terms of how it vibrates, right? Literally, physically, how it vibrates. Yeah. And just to for people who aren't familiar with them yet, just to give a, a sense of it, if you just put your hands at the side of your head and you just look 180 degree vision, this is kind of the big visionary view of things. The kind of the big antenna that sort of takes in. And sort of soften the eyes, 180 degree vision is sort of taking in everything. Um, and this kind of bigness can be very good for sensing, Ooh, sensing even the energies going on around. But in order to convert intuition or insight or creativity to action, that energy in a sense has to descend through the body. It has to become concentrated through us. What is it descending through in, in the energy pattern sense? It's descending through the organizer, which could take big, wonderful visions and break them down into steps. It's descending through the collaborator, which is a rhythmic pattern that gets people moving with us. And it's descending through the base of the abdomen, the driver, which can get stuff across the finish line with a sense of urgency. And you even hear the edge come into my voice. I do. So in a way, we're going from the huge antenna to the focus of an arrow, each time dropping the frequency physically in the body to a lower and lower state. So it's engaging eventually the hara, the lower abdomen, which is the center of the, the collaborator and driver patterns, which are our more extroverted patterns. They put us out in the world of people and into the world of tasks. Uh, they're, they're getting, uh, as well as the organizer, which is you know parsing things out into steps. So when we're able to use these four patterns as a, as a well-functioning team, mm. we're able to turn our ideas into action, engage others, as well as um, ourselves be renewable, not be exhausted by just overdriving and overpushing and, and not having a sense of being tuned in to what actually the situation calls for. Uh-huh. You know, if, when we're finished with this and we record it and it, it gets edited, the, the music that I have at the beginning and the end is out of the vision music you sent me. And I had to edit, have a special editor try and come up with that type of music of a visionary. And I was so struck by that because music and what we listen to has a lot to do with our own personality components. You know, you if I'm going to play in the state championship of the soccer game, I'm probably not going to be a visionary walking around. I'm going to hit the driver button of the eye of the tiger, right? And, and, <laughs> right. So I think we're just mindful that we go through a lot of things in our day. And, and one of my thinkings about this, too, is how people transition. Uh, I know that for me is a struggle, is I can go from a clearly uh, intense state and then the next thing is I got to be with four people who really need me around the dinner table. And it's very hard for the mind to let go of that last conversation. But I remember, you know, these stories of people saying, why are you still carrying that word? And I, I wonder, how have you learned how to heal that? How do you go from transition with these high energies into the next thing. My family doesn't need me to recount the story of the person who called who's dying at the table. They want to talk about their homework. And I don't know if people are as present as we like in our world because they are carrying what just happened. Right, right. No, it's a great, 
It's a great question. Um, and I won't say this is the only way to do it, but as soon as you asked that question, instantly I could feel my breath dropping into my hara. Instantly I could feel, that's what I do, right. that I'd slow down. Huh. In, in order to, in a sense, change gears, if you think about a car, you know, how do you change gears in a car? You have to, you know, it was easier to picture this back when we had manual transmission because you had to put in the clutch, you know, you had to, in a sense, disengage from one, you know, drop out of one gear to engage the other. Now it's all automatic, so we don't see the process or feel it quite as much. But there's the same kind of thing in the body to disengage how can you disengage one of the one of the nifty features of this hara the lower abdomen uh, that you hear me and hara is the japanese word for it but the lower abdomen which is also sourced to a billion nerve cells it is a center of consciousness the whole enteric nervous system but it's also the center of movement it's the center that coordinates movement in the body it sends nine times as many signals to the brain as the other way around. That's that's a neuroscience fact. What that now I don't know what those signals exactly are saying all the time, but what I experience is when I drop into the hara, it can cut off my discursive thinking. In other words, when I breathe deeply into that center, it can shut down the mind. And the slower I breathe, if I exhale so slowly, it's like passing through zero then the segue can happen. So I find I have to do that quite often, even in writing, you know, in, to drop into a writing project or drop out of it. I have to almost use it as parentheses, you know, to, to center myself in and then, and then let it come. Um, and slow, deep exhale uh, that drops deeply into the hara gives a chance for the head brain to reset. Now remember, Everett's saying, don't worry, Mark, you'll always inhale. So keep going with exhale, right? Just pretend <laughs> yeah. we have, oh, is it going to come? Hey, if you're not, you're done, right? But, so let the exhale, and I mean, we can see this in the video right now. I mean, you can put yourself through an exhale and be confident that the inhale will come, but to take it a few more seconds or something, I, I, I think that's a great learning tool here because often we're just... <sighs> quickly breathing in, right? And we should know that as a pattern of the meeting that we're in or the driving that we're doing and the clenched hands or the argument with our spouse about the cleanliness of the kitchen. I mean, so where is the, where's the exhale? Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. how long is it? It's a very helpful leadership tool and it yeah. doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything, and you're never without it. Because it, the truth is, as we get spun up, upset, uptight, up, 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 the, it's in our language, energy is rising, and it tends to put tension into the torso and upper body. What does that do? It makes the inhale and exhale shorter. So now the muscles that are regulating the lungs, since they can't move themselves, they need somebody to do it for them, and the muscles doing the work, as it comes higher in the body, it becomes more breathless, sort of like I'm talking right now. And so it starts to create kind of an anxious signal versus when it's deep in the body, lower frequency, drops down, more stable, more centered, and it sends a different signal to other people. So as you're sitting down with the people who need you to hear them, need you to be with them, you know, what do we want to send to those people? Do we want to send anxiety or do we want to send, I got you? Yeah, I got you. And uh, I have this uh, that we got at the HEAL workshop, and I wanted you to know that you got me at that, as you did with a lot of other people, and, and to talk a little bit about that, because I think you provide a space 
that is not existent in the CME world or the conferences that I'm going to. And I want to really be able to promote that because Ken is, has done a podcast for us and talked significantly about the hurrah. And I really believe what you're doing is you're providing an opportunity for people to experience this, not just listen and hear it, but to go spend a few days. And could you talk a little bit about your next one? I mean, how this developed, I can attest to that two pictures, right? The first picture of the team and the second picture <laughs> of the team and everyone, people were all taller. Right. How does it yeah. happen? What goes on there? Just Don't to give people love a commercial. It. Yeah. Don't you love it? You know, <laughs> I love seeing how people can shift over the course of a weekend. And that's what the opportunity, the experience is in a HEAL program. Um, the So people uh, will come in with, we say, something that maybe is challenging them. They drop into both the physical training that we offer, which learning how to meditate, learning how to breathe, this use of the HARA center that we've been talking about. So they're learning some tools that they can take with them, but they're also then applying it to leadership. So how 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 does this mean I can drop out of coping mode? I've been kind of coping with my days, trying to get through them, all those, all those engagements. My schedule fills up so much. How they can play this a different way. That just opens eyes and in a sense opens hearts, um, opens the hara, opens the whole being um, with the possibility that there's another way to play this. That's a line that so many people have shared with me as they come out of the HEAL program. There's a different way. And I don't have to race through my day. I don't have to fight with time. I don't have to... Um, be cramming things in there's a way to be more whole with all of this to be a part of all of this that feeling is what they start to get in their bodies and so as you say by by sunday you know they come out of the weekend and we take a group photo they look like boulders you know they're like these power people sitting there not trying to look powerful but they're just more relaxed in who they are so um the the heel programs we run every few months at the dojo at the spring green dojo about an hour west of madison and i'll tell you where we've had multiple people from a system come a lot of those people have been even more successful in taking practices back so we're seeing now clinics change because physicians have gone back and set up a, a meditation room or they're they're reaching their their patients a different way um, or they're taking it back and doing some practices with their with their colleagues. Um, even when one person comes, it starts to change the environment, right? You know, because one person goes back and now they're resonating a different signal. And people go, hmm, what happened to you? You seem more calm. Or they'll start to notice things like that. You know, I think we'll promote that Martin okay. guy because, yeah. you know, <laughs> he you. just yeah. seems to have extra capacity now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I don't mean to say this is all about ambition because really what it is is about helping us drop into who we truly are. It's helping us experience the wholeness that we are, not just that kind of ego self that can be always a little bit frightened and proving itself and you know self-protecting and promoting, but it's relaxing that seeing through the ego to the wholeness of who we are. And now the ego becomes a tool, not a tyrant. What a shift that is. Yeah, the shift. And, you know, wholeness is happening by taking what has happened in our own lives and to heal that and to incorporate it. And I can tell you in the last few minutes of our time, I had a very strong vision of the two uh, brothers and sisters who my mom lost in a miscarriage in that dojo. 
And I realized that there was this sense of opening and being okay with the fields of energy that come in. And a lot of people come to me and talk about this in their life, especially at the end of life. You know, I just yesterday, our one of our main primary care physicians, he's an extraordinary person, talks about how his grandma's dying and these two figures are, are present. And he goes, I just can't talk about this all the time. I said, everybody's talking about it with me, you know? So, I mean, okay. there's some way of wholeness becoming integrated with what our losses are. I mean, this was a significant loss. It was this brother and I don't have, but I do have. And, and so how we engage our spirit in our lives, I think, is a real outgrowth of this in terms of what makes you whole. And as you say, it goes back to the listening, where we started. The more open we are, the more we're naturally going to vibrate with a wider range of energies, including, I'll call them unconventional energies, the energies we don't talk about with everybody. And yet we start to sense them. And as we work with them, we are doing the healing work, not only for Martin or for Ginny, but for our families, for our communities, for our colleagues. So when one person can start to become this sensitive it changes the entire situation around them Um, that's the promise of this work and that's why it is healing work both within and without there is truly no boundary Um, what's next Ginny well you know with help like yours Martin we want to just wing this to the world what's next is that we need this not to be such a secret Yes. <laughs> you know, Zen has traditionally been taught in monasteries by people who devote their lives to it. And and, um, and, and as it's moved to the West, that's not exactly our model. Our model is help people who, who are, are living uh, lives out in the world and trying to uh, heal the parts of that world they touch and resource them to do that sustainably with resilience, with joy, with uh, an ability to know there is nowhere to be lost to. So that direct experience of Zen and bringing it into into lives is what we want to reach with a critical mass of people. So um, the HEAL programs are are a way we bring it to healthcare practitioners. We have Zen leader programs for for leaders of all walks of life. In the the work I'm doing now around Resonate, um, just helping people learn how they can tune their bodies, tame their ego, and integrate mind and body as one in order to be more resonant beings, that they can be more effective as change agents, as in making whatever differences there's to make, including the large-scale changes that are quite pressing on this generation to get serious about, um, social inequities and climate change and the dysfunctions of our systems, including in healthcare, um, we can't pretend that we can just keep going the way we've been going and all will be well. Um, so how can we resource ourselves to be the change that is called for from our generations? This one, the next couple that follow, that's what's next for me is helping a critical mass of leaders reach that kind of wisdom and direct experience where they can lead for the whole picture, where they can heal the, the ills that, uh, that confront us. I remember you saying after lunch one time, Martin Joseph Campbell said, all is well and all is a mess. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, what a, what a way to kind of be thinking as we wrap. I, I almost thought too, your way of people watching this video, I'm sure you do instructional videos for people. Is there a way that they could go see? Uh, you taught me uh, significant, the stretches, as well as just the absolute posture of, you know, getting ready to have 
your head pulled up and those things. Have you created those so people could go in and learn from you on those? Yeah, thank you. Um, there is an online course, actually, where I created a series of videos with uh, with Integral Life um, called Lead with Purpose, okay. where we have some some videos. And so that's available on Integral Life. Lead with Purpose is the name of that course. Um, and then we, we also are building up on some instructional videos to go with the Resonate book that will show all these different exercises that that's not up yet, but it will be up later this year. Okay. So, so that'll, be, that'll be called Resonate.website. <laughs> so well, the resonate that website that will be something then maybe we come back once that's all right. up and then we we have a talk and um understand that you're always moving and you're also always adaptable and you have <laughs> given me so much uh in life that i just want to be uh acknowledging that especially to our viewers and the people that this works and our the the way that uh you can provide a space to is i think a, a great sacredness as well because people i i believe are coming and talking about this they're trying to find where the space is so i encourage them to go and we'll put that in uh the the line and the tag uh with the flyer as well for the upcoming heal sessions that's great thank you so much You're martin awesome. you know i think one of the biggest challenges we have with people in healthcare is it's so busy they're so busy that the idea of devoting a weekend to something that they're not sure exactly what's on the other side of it sounds daunting yeah. and yet with encouragement like yours uh and the the message i would say to them is um that Trust that there's a better way mm -hmm. and trust that if you give it a weekend, you're going to taste it. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah. And it'll taste good. <laughs> and it's going to taste good. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Yes. Thank you, Martin. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.